Greetings, listeners. You have found The Horror Returns. For all of you who delight in dread, fantasize about fear, and glorify gore, welcome home. This is the podcast that proves that the horror never ends. Each episode, we seek out and review a brand new horror movie or book. Then we go back and find a classic work with similar themes, looking at both similarities as well as differences. Our goal here too is, explore, is to explore how our perceptions of fear remain the same from generation to generation, but also to point out how the presentation can change based on the social and the political climate of the times that we live in. Although we will always do our best to avoid spoiling the new release, sometimes it may be necessary to talk about certain details in the course of our conversation. Now, we generally assume you guys have already seen the classic film, so there will uh, quite frequently be spoilers when we're discussing anything that's been out for at least a year. The other thing that we may do from time to time is use a few four-letter words. This is a horror podcast, and horror movies tend to be R-rated, so you can pretty much expect us to be too. I'm Lance, and with me tonight is my regular co-host, Brian. And we got a very special guest tonight, uh, Pedro Nunez, a.k.a. Brandon Draven, from the K-Fabulous Lucha Brothers podcast. Pedro, tell, tell us about the podcast, man, and uh, where our listeners can find it and, and everything they need to know to check you guys out. Uh, well, it's a, it's a wrestling podcast. We cover professional wrestling. We, uh, we, we have our own little take on it as far as, you know, what we talk about. We have a good time. It's something we don't take too seriously. Like, we're, you know, there's, there's thousands of podcasts out there that, that analyze every match, every storyline, you know, and, and they talk about why certain things happen, what, what shouldn't happen. We, we look at it from a more comedic side, from a more fun side, and, um, you know, we figure this is this is what we figured. We can't compete with those big podcasts. They have they have you know they have um, a budget. They have production values. We don't have any of that. So the best thing we could do is use our own humor and try to do something different. So um, that's it's called the K Fabulous Lucha Brothers podcast, and you can find it on uh, geekdom101.com. So if you go there, there, and there's other cool stuff on there as well. But uh, that's that's uh, that's one of our main things right there. The podcast. Awesome, man. So, uh, Brian, I know you, I know you're big into UFC. Do you check out any of the the wrestling as well? Oh, absolutely, absolutely, big fan. Oh, ben, cool. Ben, yeah, ben. you should. Uh, I was gonna say, no, yeah, definitely. Um, we focus a lot on old school wrestling, Brian. So, um, you know, if that's your thing, I don't know how old you are, but um, you know, I, I'm a I'm a child of the '80s. So, uh, yeah, I'm know, early. 90s. I'm thirty. Go ahead. I'm thirty six. Oh, okay. I'm thirty six. So we're, we're so I haven't. Yeah. Yeah, and then you know we look at it from from a more comedic point of view. You know we 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 do uh we do wrestling impressions. You know we have quote unquote Collins, you know <laughs> stuff like that. Just, just, just because uh you know we we have certain wrestlers from our from the past that that will call up. You know, uh, Ricky Morton is one of our more famous guests. Uh, Vince Russo calls in from time to time when we question his booking. <laughs> uh, you know stuff like that. So um. You know, the way the way we planned that podcast was uh, just a couple of guys sitting in a bar uh, drinking, which is actually what we do, and, uh, and and having a good time talking about wrestling instead of getting that snobby, you know, analytical point of view that everybody else does. Yeah, I would definitely check that out. Cool, sounds good, man. Um, so we appreciate you you coming on the show with us, dude. I think I think you're gonna do another show with us in in a bit too. We're gonna do a. Uh, a retrospective on on a guy that I happen to know is one of is one of your and Brian's favorite directors, right? That's right. 
Uh, I don't know if you want to give it away now or, you or uh, you know, we'll talk about it, quote, unquote, next week. I don't know how you do this here. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's, that's cool, man. Yeah, we're, we're, if, if, you, if, you'll, uh, if you don't mind joining us, we, we do want to do a jo- uh, John Carpenter retrospective with you. Oh, definitely. I'll be here. Cool. No problem. Cool. All right. So uh, anyway, let's start out with a discussion, as we always do, of some of the highlights of what we've checked out this week. Uh, Brian, you want to go first on this one? Yeah, I haven't really been able to check out too much. I haven't had a lot of free time. Last free day I had was uh, around UFC 200. My daughter came, uh, my older daughter came to visit, so we uh, we went and checked out Captain America Civil War. And oh, okay. um, Yeah, other than that, I haven't been able to really, my, my schedule's been uh, kind of hectic the past week, so. Yeah, life, life happens sometimes, right guys? Yeah, oh, That's did... Right. Uh, I am currently in season two of Penny Dreadful, if anybody's watching that. Here's the deal with Penny Dreadful. I, tr- I tried to get into it. I gave, I, gave it a, I gave it about three episodes to hook me in, and it just didn't. I mean, it just, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's, it has those British sensibilities, like, you know, the, the, the plotting. The, I don't know. It just wasn't my, what, what I wanted in that show. But, I mean, I know it has quite the cult following, so, um, but it just, it just wasn't my cup of tea. Yeah, I, I agree, you know. There are episodes where, you know, you're just kind of waiting for something to happen and they do kind of drag. They'll they'll have another episode that something will happen and it kind of it kind of keeps you keeps you uh watching. So, yeah, I I do agree it's not for everybody. Yeah, cuz now they have the new show of Stranger Things that I, I checked a couple of those episodes today and that and that show I really do like. Oh yeah. It's kind of a yeah, it's kind of a little bit of a throwback of the Amblin Entertainment era from the sure, '80s. You know those old, sure. those, those old Steven Spielberg movies, um, kind of coming of age mixed with like some government conspiracy. Um, you know, I don't want to get too much into it because I'm I just started it myself, and there's right. already you know, but mild spoilers. But you know, people that are nostalgic for that era, people that like movies like Super 8, you know, they should definitely check it out because it, it it did hook me after a couple of episodes. So I'm gonna go. I'm gonna check the rest of it out. Yeah, and it's uh, it's Netflix, right? So you can actually kind of like binge watch them, I guess. Yes, exactly. So that's pretty cool. Awesome. Yeah, I love that Netflix format. Yeah, but then you kind of feel guilty for a couple of reasons. A, by the time you realize you spend a whole day sitting on your couch, it's kind of too late to do anything about it. That's and right. And B, it's like once the show's over, you have to wait a whole another year to catch you know the, the second season. <laughs> right. You know what I'm saying so. It's like it's not like. <laughs> You know, it's not like the usual nine months or eight months when you're watching weekly. But you know what? You know, where the, the, what do they call it? That's first world problems. I'll, I'll take them. Give no them to kidding. me because it's pretty cool to have that option. Yeah. Any Anything else uh, that, that really stood out for you this week, Pedro? Uh, I saw a couple films. I saw the uh, the Funhouse Massacre. You guys, you guys check that one out? I've been wanting to see that one. Uh, Brian, you've got some insight on that, don't you? Um, I haven't watched. I actually uh, bought it. I haven't even I haven't watched it yet. But uh, I've heard a, I've heard a lot of good things about it. It's 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 pretty cool. It's it, it's pretty cool. It's a you know it's low budget film, but it has a lot of heart, you know. And and that's one of the things that when you're into horror and the horror genre, uh, you know, you have to look for for movies that have heart and soul because that's what's gonna distinguish from a movie that you know it's just crap when it has no budget. So. Um, Movies like Funhouse Massacre, you could tell they were made five, by fans for the fans, and uh, it was a fun time. I mean, they're they're it's it's a basic run of the mill story. I'm not gonna spoil it because you guys haven't seen it, but it's 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 a fun time. Yeah, that's uh, that's definitely definitely on my to watch list. So I'm I'm glad to hear that you uh, got that impression from it. Sounds like it was pretty, it, it was worth watching then. 
Uh, and then I, I saw another flick called the La- the Last Heist. You guys with Henry Rollins. You guys hear about this one? Whoa, no, but I love Henry Rollins, dude. I'm a, a Black Flag fan from from way back. Oh, okay. So yeah, so pretty much uh, the the premise of this movie, it's uh, a a bunch of uh, bank robbers. They 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 go and rob a bank while there's a serial killer in there. I don't know, trying to make a deposit or something, but he's in the bank while they try to That's rob it. it. And, 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 you know, the serial killer happens to be played by Henry Rollins. So, you know, he's going to bring a lot of character to that part. And so uh, that's pretty much where I'll leave it at. It, it, you know, that, that, that's the premise. And, and it's, it's, it's pretty cool. It's, it's, uh, it, it's a little, uh, you know, you have to kind of stretch your imagination a bit for some parts. Because right. at the end of the day, at the end of the day, it is about five, you know, fully armed men. Well, there's a, there's a chick in there too against mm-hmm. one dude, you know, and and so uh, there's gonna be some wackiness involved with that. But other than that, it it was uh, it was a fun time. I, I liked it. Pedro, come on, dude. It is Henry Rollins we're talking about here. Come on. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. He didn't get on his soapbox in this film, though. I'll give him that. Right. So that was pretty cool. So you're you're referring to some of his his uh, spoken word uh, tours that he's done, huh? Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm a, I'm a huge I'm a huge punk rock fan. I'm actually going to Riot Fest to see the Misfits in uh, September. Oh, the you original lucky, lineup you is lucky coming. bastard! <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna go check that out. You know, Bad Religion's playing, Social Distortion. It's it's a, it's a good lineup, and uh, so I know Henry Rollins very very well. You know, I know all these political guys. You know, the Jello Biafras, the Henry mm-hmm. Rollins, all all these guys that tend to get on their soapbox. And you know, sometimes you agree with them, sometimes you don't. But they certainly right. have a lot to say. Cool. Yeah, man. Well, I'll tell you what, I can't believe I hadn't heard of that one. So I'm I'm uh, I'm really glad you told me about that. The Last Heist, right? Yeah, yes. And it should be on video on demand already because that's where I saw it. I'm right I'm writing it down right now. Uh uh what else for you, man? Uh I saw I saw Sal, uh the Stephen King adapta- adaptation. That one was uh that was a horrible movie. <laughs> <laughs> how how do you really feel? Uh, it just sucked, man. It's just, you know, uh, straight to video, Samuel L. Jackson in movie 1075 of, you know, that he does every year. <laughs> right. Uh, you know, uh, John Cusick c- collecting a paycheck. Uh, so that's pretty much it. That's, that's, it just, if you've read The Cell, you know, it's just a horrible adaptation on that movie, which is part okay. for the course with Stephen King films. Yeah, so, for the most uh, part, sure. For the most part, except for, you know, one we're going to talk about today, which is a great fucking movie. Right. Uh, so, so, um, yeah, that's pretty much what I have. You know, I mean, that's that's what I've seen as far as uh, horror is concerned, and what the topic of this podcast. I saw the Purge, but you guys talked about it. Uh, I believe it was last week, so I don't want to get too much into that. Well, what what did you think, man? What I'll tell you what. What would you give it on a scale of one to ten? I'll give it about a six. I mean, you know okay. what? I'm a I'm a sucker for that premise. I, I you know I'm a sucker for. I love that whole genre of like. When you're when you're inside a house and you're trying to hold something from coming in, you know that whole idea. Yep. So that that's that's probably that's probably my favorite subgenre when it comes to horror films is that whole trying to keep something out motif, you know. So whenever whenever they do that semi right, I'm I always you know I always go in for it. Just seeing the wackiness and the concept, and I think with every one of these that they make, they're getting better and better at it. You know, you're never gonna have you know, Citizen Kane as style movie, because that's not what these movies are made for. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, as far as just the fun ride, you know, and just going along with these characters, uh, especially with like with the Frank Grillo character that has already a little bit of character development already established from the previous film. You know, it, it was cool. I, I wouldn't have let like 15 years go by because the guy didn't age a day. But mm-hmm. besides that, you know, I thought it was a pretty good movie. 
Okay. Well, it actually kind of sounds like you you and Brian were pretty much in agreement on that, and also the fact that, uh, Brian, didn't you say you thought each film uh, in the franchise got better than the one before? Yeah, absolutely. I think the the whole element, you know, they kind of seemed like the the third one seemed a little bit more action, and I I, I kind of appreciated they add a little bit more action to it. Right. Well, the, the thing about the thing about the second one that I remember that I I really loved the first act. The first and second acts were phenomenal, but it loses a lot of steam in the third act when all the stories kind of merge together. That that's when I kind of fell off of that movie. But the third one kind of keeps a steady pace throughout. So yeah, they are getting better and better. Well, as far as uh, what I watched this week, I really didn't. Uh, yeah, I didn't check out too much horror. I did. I did see one that I want to mention, even though it has absolutely nothing to do with our normal uh, subject matter. It's called. Uh, have you guys heard of this one? Pop star, never stop, never stopping. I watched that oh. one this week as well. <laughs> the Lonely Island movie. I thought. It, I thought it was hilarious. I really loved it. I, it wasn't what I was expecting. For some reason, I thought it was uh, a movie kind of like that uh, Walk Hard, the Dewey Cox story or something like that. But uh, <laughs> no, man, it was it was just a straight-up mockumentary, just like Spinal Tap. And um, they, they got a lot of really, really talented musicians to show up there as a, I guess, as a lark to, like, you know, talk about how good this band was and, to, you know, talk about how popular the, you know, the dude is in his solo career. I was pretty impressed with what they put together on that one. Yeah, yeah. The, the only thing about that is that, and we're talking to our mutual friend, uh, Danny Louis, about this, because uh, I, I messaged him right away, mm-hmm. was uh, when when, Arc- when Arcade Fire comes out, after he shared his story with us, how they were in the, in the theater he was in, and they were, you know, to use a wrestling term, popping at their own jokes. Right. Uh, um, I, w- I thought they had, like, you know, maybe about a two, three-minute cameo or whatever, and the this arcade fire they were only in the movie for like a couple seconds and i'm thinking, and, and I'm thinking they bust up laughing right for a couple seconds worth you know what i'm saying so it was I got uh, you. It, it just it just made denny louis story even more wackier than it originally was yeah as if it needed any help right <laughs> exactly <laughs> all right so that's it that's it for the highlights uh all right so now uh it is time to take a little trip to the trailer park We take a look at the big, the small, and sometimes the very, very weird. Uh, Brian, what's our first new trailer to talk about this week? Uh, The first one we're going to talk about is Morgan. Uh, This is a Ridley Scott produced movie. Um, It's got Kate Mara in it. A lot of of recognizable actors. How did you guys feel about this one? Well, I got a, I got a, uh, one of my favorite films of, I think it was like 2009 when it came out was a movie called Hannah. Did you guys check that one out? Yeah. Yeah. I've seen yes. that one. Yeah. I got, I got a, I got a serious Hannah vibe from watching this trailer guys. Well, it's, it's, it's the same motif. You know, you got the Hannah vibe, you got the kind of the Lucy vibe, you know, now we got Morgan, right? you know, it just, it, they're just picking, it's like, it's like naming hurricanes, you know, they're just picking out a name out of a hat and giving it, <laughs> good, giving it over good to call, the movie. man. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, now we got Morgan, and you know, it's not—it's not really reinventing the wheel here. I mean, other than the—they—they they, they got some pretty good people for it, and, sure. and and like Brian was saying, it's got a good producer. Now, who's directing this? Do we know? Yeah, because that could—that could make a pretty big difference, you know, depending on on who's uh, behind the wheel. It sounds like a Luke Besson film, to be honest with you. No kidding, though. Female empowerment and everything, right? It is directed by Luke Scott. Luke's? Okay, well, I, I had part of it right, <laughs> and he's uh, but, right. But this, but 
but this guy is Luke. That's Luke. This guy is Luke. He's yeah. a French guy. Luke the Sure. <laughs> He's uh, checking him out. He's directed. He hasn't done much. <laughs> no. Is, is, let me ask you this. Is he a writer or something like that? Did he start out as a writer or anything? I think so. He says uh, he, also, he does uh, some screenwriting, second unit mm. director. He's worked on okay. stuff for uh, Exodus, Gods, uh, Gods and Kings, uh, The Martian. All right. All right, well, he's already on negative stars with me, then. No oh, kidding. No kidding. He's sound, actually, sound like he's a second-rate, second-unit director. <laughs> uh, yeah. He's actually Ridley Scott's son. Oh, oh that, that, that answers everything right there. <laughs> I guess we'll see what happens. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not too interested in this one. It just, it just seemed like another we shouldn't be creating new, you know, superhumans-type movies. Right. Uh, I, yeah, I just I just wasn't interested in this one. Comes, I believe it comes out in September, which we all know is dump month for all the all the studios. Sure, so sure. That, that, that it's either gonna go on dump month because I think on the trailer I saw, I saw the date of September something, okay. or it's gonna go straight to a video, you know, straight to video on demand or uh, iTunes or all, and all that stuff. Hey, may, maybe yeah. this, maybe this guy will blow us away. I, I'm just not expecting it. Well, the trailer is—it's a cookie cutter trailer. So I mean, whoever sure. cut that trailer, we'll see what happens. I—I'm I, gonna watch it because I watch everything. So I'll—I'll uh, right. I'll give it a go. Cool. Yeah, you—you you are correct. Is uh, September second is the release date? Okay. Yeah, that—that that pretty much answers everything right there. There you have it. That is the week. A couple of those weeks, actually, in early September, when the studios are like, we don't believe in this project, so we're just going to throw it out there and see what happens. It's always a September day and the January days. That, That's right. Where it's, you know, dump months. And, and but, but, but it's weird because we do have some gems through history on dump months. There have been some good movies out there, but uh, they just don't believe in them and they just throw them out there. So just because they're out there in September doesn't mean they're going to suck. It just means the probability of them sucking is higher than usual. Right. That's a good, That's a real good point, man. So we we shall see, but I, I'll tell you guys I'm not I'm not exactly pumped about it. Not from the the trailer, you know. Okay, uh, we're going to be moving on to our second trailer, which is uh, another Blumhouse uh, productions. It's uh, viral. Viral. Yeah, that looked looked pretty interesting. I mean, it kind of looked like it was it was made for a younger crowd. It's kind of hard to tell, guys. I mean, I couldn't tell if it was like, did this have something to do with like an alien presence of some sort, or was it sort of like a a 28 days later thing or i mean what what did you guys get from it okay so there's a couple of little films that this reminded me of first of all there was a film that came out a couple of years ago called Con- contracted with with uh you know it's kind of talking about stds and absolutely how, uh, that was, that uh, was a pretty has, good pretty good little movie yeah the girl has uh she has a one night stand and then mm-hmm. she ends up little by little turning into some something we never really know what but it's something you know, out of this world, it seems like. And then another one that just came out, which is in the same kind of the concept, was a movie called Bite, which came out about a month and a half ago. Uh, oh, same, okay. same, same idea. A girl gets bitten by a by. She goes on vacation. I believe it's her honeymoon, and mm-hmm. uh, she comes back with an infection in her leg, and then she just starts turning into this creature. And and you could tell that film was made kind of like you know Cronenberg's uh, The Fly, where it was somebody just trying to show off their special effects skills, which I have no problem with because it's kind of monster movies uh it's called body horror by the way the subgenre that we're talking about right uh this kind of body horror style movies they're they're kind of made so the so the special makeup effect artist could kind of show off what he has and uh 
the film bite really shows it off because you see the transformation happening, you know, as the movie's progressing, which is pretty cool. And you know, towards the end, it gets really icky. So, um, oh, okay. yeah. So, so, so this viral seems like a more, uh, let's just say, more Hollywoodized, you know, because they always got to thread a line there. there there's a lot of cr- lines they can't cross. It's a more, a more Hollywoodized uh, style of film uh, with the same concept, you know, and 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 more teenagey, you know. So. You you could tell when uh when a when a concept goes through the Hollywood um the muck muck Hollywood uh process you know because I always feel that Hollywood has like they they have like only a couple ways to tell a story mm-hmm. and they always get sure. they always get they always get good scripts and and they just kind of run them through the washing machine and then it comes out you know Hollywoodized so uh, that that's pretty much what this movie reminded me of but but I feel like somebody who who's not as dialed in as we are in in the genre they probably will have a good time with it. I, to me, I've just seen things that are a little more extreme and, you know, like Biden contracted that. I, I'll just come out of it already having seen this concept done better. But to your average moviegoer, they, I felt like the trailer was pretty fun. I, I think they'll, they'll, they'll really like it. Well, if it means anything, I noticed that the, the guy who directed this film uh, directed Catfish. You guys remember that one? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. So who knows, man? Who knows? Not not much of a body of work to to draw, and I think he may have done a couple of the paranormal activities also. Catfish was the one that had that wicked plot twist in the middle of it, right? That's the one, and it I, I couldn't tell if it was really a documentary or just like a mockumentary. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Well, there, there there's a documentary on Netflix called uh, "I Am Blonde," I think it's called, uh-huh. where it's it's essentially that story, but it's a, it's a real story. So I don't know if the filmmaker got it from there or if they're not related, but I, I certainly got that vibe when I watched it. So uh, sure, people should sure. check that out. It's on Netflix. Interesting. All right. Yeah. And the uh, release date on that is uh, it's actually come out pretty soon. It's uh, July 29th. Wow. That, that's that's probably going to be a uh, – man, I haven't heard no promotion for that at all, so it might just be on VOD. Could be, man. I haven't heard anything about it either until now. It was. It's also Dimension Films, which uh, you know they used to be the shit back in uh, the '90s, but they they don't do squat now. So uh, right, they're they're also gonna they're they're also involved with this production. Oh, actually, okay. I just looked it up. Yeah, it is gonna be through video on demand. Okay. By, the, by Dimension Films, yeah. So uh, I wonder if that's still the Weinstein's horror division because it was for years, but then they sold their company, so it might not be anymore. But uh, anyways, uh, I'll, I'll be I'll definitely be checking it out. Yeah, I was just going to say, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and check it out. I mean, it, it kind of looks interesting. I'm not sure, you know, like you said earlier, I'm not sure if it's a virus thing or if it's an alien thing. It kind of, it's kind of like two different trailers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I got, I got that same impression. It's like the first part of the trailer seemed like one movie and the second half seemed like a completely different movie to me. And it is, it is a found footage movie, right? Because that's another thing. It's also a found footage movie. Is it? So it's all, that's <laughs> oh, what it yeah. seems like to me. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not a big fan of those guys. Typically. Well, I mean, I mean, there are just so many of them. You know, that's sure. the problem. Bloodfather, starring Mel Gibson. Mel Gibson. We were just talking about him last week, and and whatever happened to him, or maybe that was a couple of weeks ago. You remember that? Yeah. This is uh, this is the return of Mel Gibson. All right. <laughs> well, well, yet well, again. We, we, that, that's, I was going to say, you beat me to it. We, we said that about three, four times over the last five years. So is, right, this, really right. the re- is this really the return or is he just picking his head out the window again and going to go back wherever hole he came with? Because, uh, he, he, yeah, he's, um, I don't know, these kind of films ain't going to do anything for him because the 80s, you know, motif of being an action star, that kind of doesn't fly anymore. Right. And that's, that's what it seems this is, this is kind of turning out to be. Um, 
there's a there's a movie called uh, Standoff with uh, Thomas Jane and uh, and Larry Fishburne that came out about I would say about six months ago that reminded me of this film because uh, it's that whole thing about how like you know one man wants to do good mm-hmm. and something something or someone comes into his life and he's got to do the right thing for her in this case it's a, it seems like it's a girl and you know without them ever meeting each other and that kind of drives the plot and we've seen it before. But uh, Mel Gibson's a very charismatic man, as we know, so he he might be able to pull something off. And the trailer looks pretty good, so this is another one that I'm going to check out. Yeah, I thought uh, I thought Get the Gringo was pretty good. Did you guys see that one? Yeah, yeah seen that one. Yeah, I, I thought it was good as well. That was good. Now the Beaver sucked. <laughs> I, I I never caught that one. <laughs> yeah, well, that's okay. You didn't miss much. <laughs> didn't miss much. And then of course he showed up in uh, Machete Kills. <laughs> you remember that? Yeah, I hated that movie. Uh, oh, and the expend the Expendables three, right? Wasn't Mel in that one? Yeah, for what? a minute. <laughs> for a minute. <laughs> well, that's right. He was. Uh... Yeah, they had the biggest throwaway scene at the end, where where you thought him and Stallone were just going to have this this epic fight at the end, and it it right. was about what a couple minutes. Never never happened, did it? <laughs> no. Oh, but no, but to me that franchise, the one that the one guy that didn't use to his full potential was John Claude Van Damme. That's the guy that really mm-hmm. got wasted. I mean, when I saw when I when I heard about part two and I heard that uh, John Claude was going to be the main uh, villain, uh, right. Jim Villan, you know, mm-hmm. get it, Jim Villan. Uh, he, uh, you know, he was totally wasted. He was he was hardly ever in the movie, and right. they, they, they didn't use they didn't use him to his full potential. He didn't even do the splits one time, and that's what I was waiting. <laughs> He did give a pretty cool roundhouse kick, which I did get excited I, for because that did bring back memories. I remember that. <laughs> but, we, but he didn't bust out the splits. And uh, same thing with Mal Gibson. He kind of got wasted as well, you know. All right, guys. Well, I, I got to tell you, I'm, I'm not thrilled about any of these three uh, this week. So hopefully next week we'll look at some better. Uh, Brian, what's in the news this week? Okay, uh, we're going to uh, – movie we've been uh, talking quite a bit. Uh, the the it remake oh yeah they've just uh recently came out they're they're actually changing because um they're gonna split the movie into two well we knew we knew and, about that i think you, yeah you told us that a couple weeks ago yeah so uh in the original uh it was set in the 50s they're actually gonna change it. it's gonna be set in the 80s now the original part when they're kids yes oh boy i don't know about that <laughs> Well, that's gonna, that's gonna hit me and Brian's uh, generation because we, that's when we were little kids, so it might work. Yeah, I yeah, just, don't, I just don't know what's gonna do to the story. Yeah, that's why I was bringing it up. Do you think it's gonna it's gonna hurt the story, or is it gonna is it gonna be okay? Well, it's it, it all comes down to the presentation because the thing that made part one was so good was the actors themselves just deliver an incredible performance. I, right. I myself, am, I, I'm a bigger fan of part one than I am of part two. I, I when you know, during the second half of it, that's when I kind of tune out. I'm not, I'm not the biggest. Once they're adults and they come back to the town, uh, it kind of loses a little bit of steam with me. The real story to me is in the uh, innocence of the first half. You know, and how I really like how um, who, who, who I forget who direct was, was that. That wasn't Mick Garris, right? I forget who that was that directed the the it for television. But uh, just the way he presented kind of this suburban neighborhood and suburbia itself, you know, uh, and it's contradicted by this evil, like, you know, this Pennywise. So uh, I, I was really, you know, I really love that. But the second half kind of loses a little steam for me. So it's, it's going to be the same thing with this one. It's like, you know, 
the good thing about the 80s is that we're kind of on this nostalgia run with that era anyway so you know if, if they do it right it could set it could certainly work you know but uh it's gonna come down to the people that they cast and the direction that they that they you know allow the movie to take yeah makes sense we'll, we'll just uh just see how it goes exactly and also Pen- one of the things that made pennywise so scary in the first one was that you know he was very much a uh he's not really into that much and what happens is that they build to his presence. In other words, when he came out, it meant something. There, there, there was no cheap. In the original it, there was no cheap scares at all. Everything. If you if you see that movie again, right. every single every single time Pennywise comes out, it's because the scare that's about to happen was earned through the plotting of the movie. It wasn't like like you know nowadays you have like a cat jump out of the window and that's you know that's a you know, boo scare or whatever. They didn't have none of that in the original, and I and I'm seeing. I, I fear that we're gonna have this trend where, like, you know, just for the because the character itself of Pennywise has grown so much, and he's grown to mythical proportions. It's like, well, let's just put as much Pennywise as we could into the movie, and it's like anything in life. It's like the more you have of something, the less you want it. So, I just feel like they're gonna overexpose that character, and that's gonna affect the movie. That that's a that that's a reasonable concern. I can I can definitely see that. Kind of take the well, mysteriousness away a little bit. Speaking on Pennywise, um, the actor who is playing him uh, recently said, I, I guess he's got, he's not going to try to imitate Tim Curry in what he did. That's probably a good thing. So, <laughs> but exactly. apparently Pennywise is going to be more childlike. Oh my God, what does that mean? Wow. He, that That's that's all he had said. He's going to make him... Um, He's going to try to do his own thing and make Pennywise more childlike, closer to the children's age that is in the movie. Okay, so the actor said that he was going to try to be closer to the children's age. Not, this is not like we're going to see like a, like a, like a little kid in makeup of a, in a clown. No, I, I, think, I think he means more uh, his mentality. <laughs> okay. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Well, Tim Curry didn't exactly have an adult, you know, uh, presence about him either. You know, he, right. he also was. But uh, we'll, we'll we'll see what happens. We'll see we'll see what happens with this one. Sure. Not, not, now I'm intrigued. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. It's definitely gonna be different, isn't it, Pedro? Definitely. But I mean, I don't know. <laughs> that, that that concerns me. Woo, man! All right. So I think we've heard it in the news the last what seven or eight shows in a row, and we and this is only our sixth show. Yeah, it, I mean, it looks like they're they're putting an effort into you know making something out of this at, at first when i heard they was remaking it i i didn't really even think it was going to happen right i didn't either but well, it seems like in the past few weeks uh it's 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 going after the evil dead nothing surprises me anymore that's the one that i always felt was untouchable right but, you know the but the, the good thing about that film is that the, they took an, a different approach to it and I, I i always felt like they made it work because i i, I like the new evil dead movie the one that came out in 2013 you know Yo, they, i love they, that movie too they, they 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 never even tried. First of all, there was no Ash, which is about the best thing they could have done for that movie. Because absolutely, you know, you and there's only one Ash in my book. And then also, uh, the story itself was you know was different. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's almost like you could even kind of make it a, a straight sequel to the ones that are already out there. It's just another story about another group of friends going to the uh to the cabin or whatever so that was a good an example of a good you know remake dash reboot or whatever you want to call them nowadays but uh so you know they're not always none sometimes they're not always that good actually most times they're not always that good so we'll see no doubt yeah you're right that was one of the exceptions that that one was really really well done okay uh moving on to our next news item here is um 
with the recent uh, reports that uh, Prometheus 2 is filming now, uh, Sigourney Weaver is uh, really pushing for the Neil Blomkamp uh, alien movie to to be made. Mm-hmm. Have you guys heard anything about this? Sure. Of course. And the thing about me with this Prometheus 2 and this Alien 5 or whatever, it's like, it's, it's like how we had two Quicksilvers running around the big screen. You know, it's like, which ones do you go with? Mm-hmm. Do you go with the Quicksilver from X-Men or do you go with the Quicksilver from Civil War? It's the same thing here is that we got two franchises kind of not battling, but they're, 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 they're in a way they are battling because the market is only really going to accept one. Sure. But it's like, it's like, which one's the real sequel to Alien, you know? And then you, on one hand, you got really Scott's vision, which is the real vision. But on the other hand, you got Sigourney Weaver, which is, you know, the heroine of, of all the films, you know, of the Alien franchise. So um, I don't know. I don't know what to do. Why do they have two two productions going on at the same time about the same story? It's just weird to me that they're, that they're going that well, route. They've actually uh, they delayed uh, the Neil Blomkamp one when uh, Ridley Scott said he was ready to do uh, Prometheus 2, which is called Alien Covenant. Right, but yeah. she is really pushing because I guess he had sent her pretty much an idea what it was going to be. It was going to pick up after the second Alien movie, and he feels what he's what he's going to do is going to give uh, Ripley's character a proper send off. Hmm. Oh, okay, okay. I wouldn't mind that at all. Yeah. So in his version, they would be bringing back um, what, uh, what were the two the, the the two survivors from Aliens? That was with Ripley. From the original Alien? Are you are like no uh, from aliens? the second one? Yeah, Aliens. Uh, the little the little girl, but she died in the third one. Yeah, but if if his movie gets made, there the third and Alien Resurrection didn't didn't happen. Ah shit! Here we go with that X Men thing again, huh? And we're, you know talk, what? we're talking about the X Men, Pedro. Here's here's another one. No, but the thing is that um, you know, it's like Alien Three wasn't even that bad. You know what I'm saying? No, was, I loved uh, it, man. It's it's. Now they're gonna go ahead and mess with that. Yeah, I uh, I don't know if that's the right thing to do. Yeah, because I did hear about that. Is it is gonna be Alien, Aliens, and Alien Five, whatever that name and a name ends up being. Yeah, Alien yeah. Alien Three was was one of David Fincher's first movies, right? Yes. Well, it, I believe it was his first. He was, was twenty five. Oh, shit. Yeah, okay. he was twenty because he had he had come out of uh, music videos. That was his thing. All right. And and, and he had um he, he he got the gig for Alien Three. And he had this entirely different vision of, of what the concept was. And then they ended up just fucking with it, tearing it all up. And then they, they released, you know, the studio's version, which didn't make a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. And so it, it, was a, uh, it was a big flop. And then later on when they released that big box set, uh, that's when he, we finally got Fincher's Cut, I believe. Or no, you know what? I don't think Fincher's Cut's ever been released now that I think about it. Really? I'd like to see it, man, wouldn't you? Of course, of course, and and the thing of, did you guys ever remember that this this is the little known trivia right here that very few people remember the original concept for Alien Three was Alien on Earth. Do you guys I remember heard that? that? T- yes, I did hear that. I did, and I was looking forward to that. And I was actually like, I I remember being in school and like drawing pictures of what the poster would look like. So yeah, I was yeah. I was really looking forward to that, and I was super disappointed when it didn't happen. But I I was still happy with Alien Three even as it is. I I enjoyed it. Charles S. Dutton was really good. That's right. <laughs> uh, I, I like the fact that they didn't really hold anything back. They didn't mind killing people off. I enjoyed it. Yes, and the original Alien design came back, kind of, kind of. It wasn't exactly as the first one, but it was, it was, be- it was more, more Alien than the Alien Queen from Aliens. Yep, sure. I agree, man. It was kind of back to basics a little bit. Yeah, because uh, James Cameron didn't want to pay up to H.R. Uh, Heiger, I believe, so he created his own design. No kidding. 
That's the reason why the aliens, the alien, uh, the xenomorph looks different in uh, Aliens than he does in any other movie. Oh man, no shit. Okay, I, I had no idea. Anyway, so we'll see. But I, I, it's like you say, I don't like when they start messing around with the, with the continuity of these films. Right. Um, you know, and, and it's part for the course, right? I mean, I know comic book nerds; yes, they have to, they have they have to deal with it all the time. Uh, so now I guess it's kind of bleeding over to the to the cinema world. Yeah, it looks like that way. It's kind of it's it. What do they call it? Ret- retrofitting or something like that? Yeah, well, the, the, the comic book genre created uh, different Earths, so mm-hmm. it's like you know, if uh, certain certain characters are in Earth one thousand seven five and others are in Earth you know eighty five, you know, it just sure that, that, that that's how they keep the canon of their you know they create alternate universes. Yeah, Star Star Trek just did that with the uh, films. So it's kind of a lazy way to just say I'm going to be a lazy writer and I'm going to cover for it. It's pretty much what it is. That's uh, there, there's a lot of truth to what you just said. <laughs> well, is that is that it, Brian, for the uh, for the news, man? Uh, one more quick thing, um, little Suicide Squad talk. All right. Uh, it, right now, um, they're predicting it's it, it's going to open to 125 million. That, that's ahead. a big prediction because it, it, it the equity. You know, uh, Batman versus Superman build on it is not really good. So, right, I don't, I don't know where the hell they got that number from. But I will say that a lot of the, I mean, the trailers have just been phenomenal. Probably the best trailers yeah. we've seen, you know, in the last few years. I would say, uh, just that's the way you make a good trailer for for a movie. You know, that's how you you know get people to want to go see your movie. So, just by that alone, I know I'm interested and I'm gonna go check it out. But 125 million is a big number. From what I understand, it's um, they've screened it for a few people, and it's actually getting better reviews than Batman vs Superman. Yeah, and they're really kind of two completely different animals, guys. You know, and I mean, if you think about it, the uh, Suicide Squad is is probably I I, I, I would consider that a little bit more of a modern story than that Batman versus Superman because I think that was just kind of trying to rip off the Dark Knight Returns, the Frank Miller comic from the eighties. Yeah, and I think they've done a good job of not, you know, because we do know that Ben Affleck is in the Suicide Squad. He's gonna have a cameo in it. Oh, he is. And, okay, I I didn't well, know that. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I spoiled that. <laughs> um, well, 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 the thing is, you you see the the Batmobile all over the trailers, so um, right. You know, he, he's he's in there. Okay. And there and and it's certainly a very 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 loose sequel to that. You know the the DC cinematic universe. It's definitely connected to it, but I feel like the studio has done a good job of not even telling us that, which is a good thing because again, you don't want the baggage from Batman v Superman to carry over to this movie. Yes. So uh, in that indeed. sense, they've, they've they've done a good job of of kind of uh, allowing us to think this is a new story. You know, as far as the movie's concerned, the the thing about this movie is that it's an ensemble movie. So in other words, there really shouldn't be a lead actor in it. But when I see Will Smith, who's a very egotistical guy when it comes to his uh, his scripts and all that, it makes me wonder how much he's gonna allow himself <laughs> to, to you know to, to 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 go to the side for a little while and let right. other people you know because as we see from the trailer and the promotion, you know Harley Quinn and the Joker are the ones that are really gonna come out of this movie as superstars for sure and, for sure and he, he's gonna kind of be in the background, but he's never been in that situation, so it's really kind of like an ego hit for him. But with all that said. This guy hasn't had a hit in years, so he Indeed. really. He's kind of, so he, so he, if he's smart, he's gonna allow that mm-hmm. to happen because it's like you know I gotta, you know I don't I can't even remember the last time he had like an actual you know hundred million dollar hit and and the thing about Will Smith is that he used to be the it guy for a long time so, you know yeah he's kind of desperate for something to hold on to here so that 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 whole dynamic interests me 
you know, from the business side of movie making. And then, you know, the story looks pretty fun as well. So we'll see how that goes. Yeah, so I'm definitely going to be there opening weekend. Well, you can never get too much Margot Robbie, can you? No, you can't. No, you can't. And, and, I, I, and will, I, I will say this about Will Smith. Uh, I thought Hancock was pretty damn good. Uh, I thought the first half was good. I thought, right. I, I thought, I thought as a dramatic piece, had they stuck to this whole notion of a person that has superpowers, but they're not really okay or come to terms with that, and they're having their own issues as a human being, which is is issues that we could all relate to, and they and they could have carried that through an entire movie. I thought the film would have been phenomenal, but the second half really turns into your you know run of the mill Hollywood blockbuster good guy versus bad guy standoff, and that's kind of when it lost me. But that first half is incredible. I think I agree with you there. All right, fair, fair enough, fair enough. Well, I have a piece of news for you guys that I want to get your your guys' thoughts on. All right. Uh, uh, the Rogue One teaser poster just came out about what was it a couple of days ago? Yes, I saw that. I saw did that. Did you uh did you check the featurette out? No, I didn't check that out. What, what do they talk about there? It's kind of giving you a, a behind the scenes. It shows you some scenes from the movie. I, I'm I'm gonna tell you I'm. I'm more interested than I was before. I mean, I definitely was going to go see it, but it it's it looks like a Star Wars war movie. That that's the impression I got from it. It's a it's a war movie. See, I thought it was just a straight up heist movie. It's it I mean, there it's got the heist element, but a lot of the a lot of the stuff I seen in the feature it it looked like they're they're going to be going to war. Yeah, because I thought I, the initial premise that I thought was going to be like the old standard, you know, men go on a mission movie, you know, where uh, you get a bunch of rogues uh, that don't get along and they have to go get some sort of information and, you know, not all of them make it out. You know, that that I'm a sucker for that story, that motif as well. So mm-hmm. uh, I think I think things have changed since then, because, you know, we've, we've heard about all the rumors of the reshoots and all that. So we'll see what happens. Um, now, I also know that's a teaser trailer not a teaser trailer an actual trailers got uh, snuck into the internet uh from a screening that they had it's probably out of the internet by now because they flagged all of them and it was really really blurry and it was done with you know somebody snuck a camera in there so it wasn't really good but uh darth vader does come out on the trailers so oh, that's something yes. to look forward to yes you know yeah that the, the trailer was supposed to drop yesterday officially but it never happened so mm-hmm should be should be any day now. Officially, the trailer will drop. Right. Yeah, we'll see. There's a lot of pressure on Disney because this is the first isolated Star Wars story, and I know they want to do a lot of them, so they really have to come out of the gate swinging for a home run here. Um, you know, you don't want to get the impression that uh, only the Star Wars saga is worth. You know, the, the episodic saga is worth going out of your way to see. You kind of want to give people the idea that every one of these stories is as valuable as the Star Wars, you know, uh, episodic saga. So they, they really have to do a good job and give us a really, really good movie. Are, see what are you interested in the Han Solo one? Yeah, I mean, I, the Han Solo one, the, the, the Boba Fett one. Then I've heard of a Darth Sidious one, which is one of the characters that I've always enjoyed, you know, how he came to power and all that. So, uh, but, but, the, but yeah, to, to answer your question, the Han Solo one's definitely one I'm looking forward to. Okay. Cause that's the next one, right? Cause they're, they're casting Han Solo already. I think they were last they, time I heard. Yeah. Of they've him, already, Han... they've already casted and oh, okay. I've never heard of him before. <laughs> that could be so a good thing a... or a bad thing. No, it's a good thing. It's a good thing because you want that clean slate. You want a fresh face. You know, you don't want anybody to be compared to their right. previous work or to uh, the original Han Solo. You know, so it, it's a good thing that you want to get unknowns. That, that that's that's a good strategy, in my opinion. Absolutely. 
I mean, Harrison Ford was a freaking carpenter when he got hired, so he was a, the definition of an unknown, you know? He had right. done things here and there, but, you know, he wasn't a superstar when he got the, the Han Solo gig. Yeah, I just looked up the new Han Solo's. I'm probably going to mess his name up. Alden Entridge? Yeah, I haven't heard of him. Never never heard of him. And 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 like and like you guys say, like you say Pedro, that's probably a good thing. I'm going to I'm going to correlate it to an analogy that uh Mr. Brian Stitcher here would understand. If if you put your typical UFC undercard in front of me, I wouldn't be able to pick him out of a lineup either. Though though Absolutely. The UFC UFC has way too many. All, all I know is that they're bald and they have tattoos. That's all I know. <laughs> so now on to tonight's featured attractions. Uh, we review and discuss the new Jason Morris film, Collapse. And then we're going to compare it to another Fog at the End of the World film, Stephen King's The Mist. Um, anyway, uh, we as, as always, we start with a little bit of uh, trivia. So I've got some trivia here, guys, for the, the movie Collapse. And Collapse was directed by Jason D. Morris, who's also known for Millennium Apocalypse 1 and 2. Jason has also worked as a writer, cinematographer, and editor on such films as Betrayal and Story of Eva, uh, both coincidentally featuring the inimitable Eric Roberts, <laughs> one, one of our favorites, I'm sure, being horror fans. Uh, writer is Edward Martin III, also known for Flesh of My Flesh and The Lord of the Rings, a toroidal epic, and I'd love to know what the hell that is. Seems like it might have the Asylum film right before that it title. Very well, it very well <laughs> might. I, I got a comedy bent from it uh, when, I, when I was reading about it. It basically said that in, it included every single chapter from uh, The Lord of the Rings, including the ones that uh, Peter Jackson considered, quote-unquote, unfilmable. Yeah, I may, I may seek it out. <laughs> There's no such thing as an unfilmable when you don't have a budget. That, that's I get, their model. I, I guess that's it, man. I guess that's it. Uh, so the film Collapse was shot in eight days, and that was actually two days ahead of schedule. The filming of the movie was designed to be an experiment in producing a film in a short time span. The entire cast and crew bunked in the small cabin that the film was shot in. The movie was actually shot for less than $3,000. Uh, during filming, the lead actress came down with an intense allergy on the third day of shooting, and she lost her voice. Uh, so when you think about, uh, they, they filmed this thing in eight days, and the lead actress lost her voice for a while, that, that kind of adds to the mystique. Um, but she didn't get her voice back until the second to last day of shooting. So what we like to do here, uh, Pedro, is since, since you're the guest... Uh, we'd like to give you the opportunity to uh, to kind of go first on on your thoughts on collapse. Well, again, when when I'm watching movies that have a budget that small, and I do watch a lot of them like that, I'm looking f- because I'm certainly not gonna get wowed by what's on the screen. That's just not gonna happen. You know, when you're when you're coming out of a theater watching multi million dollar films, you can't you can't expect that. So I'm looking for story, and I'm looking for heart in the actual performances and and the, and the direction. That's really what 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 kind of drives me to, for lack of a better term, put up with these kind of movies. Because a lot of times. Uh, they are a chore to get through, especially when it's a bad filmmaker and it's, you know, bad actors, which, you know, when you have $3,000, nine times out of 10, you are going to have bad actors. Uh, with that said, I, I was never bored when I was watching this movie, which, which you know, I think even though there's a, the middle section there, like, like, like you were saying, they are in a cabin for the majority of it. The story itself kept moving, you know, and it, it never dragged, in my opinion. And so... That was the good thing about it. For the first half of the movie, I was really 
you know, I was wondering where where the the um, the drama was gonna come out of because there wasn't no villain, and I was thinking, it's very hard to do a movie when there's no antagonist. And then at, obviously in the second half, you know, the 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 girl kind of becomes the antagonist, and I was like, okay, well there it is, and that's when the movie really picked up. Right now, um, now, hey uh, Pedro, we we try to stay away from spoilers, you know, a little bit when we're talking about the uh, the new one, man. So okay. be, so be careful, don't go too far. But I mean, what what you're saying, I, I see where you're coming from. Yeah, yeah. Well, there, there wasn't any spoilers because I didn't reveal what girl, but uh, yeah, right. certainly, certainly there, there, there. You know, you have to have drama. You know, you have to have a situation that's driving the plot. Sure. And, and that's what happens here. Um, I was a little. There, there was some points where I was like, to, at towards the end, it was like, well, they got to do something here. They can't stay in this damn cabin forever. Right. And uh, and uh, you know, that's that's again when when the when the plot moved forward. So um no I I I had a good time watching it you know for three thousand dollars and and I will give I will give I love the editing I mean you never saw those weird cuts where it's like you know a lot of times when movies have no money what you what you notice a lot is the audio like you'll see like they don't have no post production budget so you'll see like the audio tones change you know like you'll you'll see like a character talking and they'll cut to the next scene and then you you hear like a windmill in the back you know it's like ooh and then, like so so it's a whole different tone and you're like what happened here right uh, but this but this filmmaker did a great job of covering all that up everything synced perfectly together i would um, agree there was no awkward like sometimes when you have no money again you know i've i've watched so many of these films i'm so used to this like that awkward just pausing when 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 they're done with the performance and then the, the editor doesn't know how to cut the at the right time so you have that weird like nothing's going on for like a millisecond well you didn't get any of that here yeah um so as far as the production itself with what they had to work with uh i thought i thought they did a good job and it was a, a pretty good movie well I, w- I would agree man i uh i really enjoyed this movie when i was uh doing some research on the trivia and found out that they made it for under under three thousand bucks my first thought was I would really love to see this uh, writer and this director work together again somehow, and I'd love yeah. to see what they could do with a bigger budget. I thought a lot of the dialogue was was really, really good, especially uh, the main character, Sheila. I liked a lot of – and I know a lot of it kind of seemed like you know just uh, proselytizing and soliloquies and things like that. But everything she said kind of hit home with me and made sense. The part early on in the movie where she was out talking to the trees and what she had to say there about the human race. And a lot of the stuff toward the end I thought that she had to say was was pretty wise. And I really liked that. I thought the characters were, were pretty believable for the most part. Um, I didn't really see anything where, you know, I would, w- was thinking, okay, this is bullshit. The- these people wouldn't act this way in this situation. I thought it was really nice the way every character kind of brought their own dimension to what was going on and sort of added to the to the picture as a whole. Um, mm-hmm. So the writing was good. The dialogue was good for the most part. Um, like you said, dude, the editing for, for, that, for the budget they were working with, um, <laughs> it, it was... Uh, the soundtrack alone, and, and I think the way that they mixed the music in, really impressed me, um, especially considering how long they took to make this and you know, how much money they spent. What, what, what I really liked, I think more than anything about this movie, was that it could have gone, and they even mentioned, they were, as, as a couple of the characters were coming up with theories, with what do you think this is, you know, what do you think caused this? I could have easily seen it at the end going in any of those directions. And quite frankly, I kind of thought for a minute I saw a lost ending coming up. 
And I was thinking, <laughs> oh my God, if they pull the lost ending, I'm fucking out of here. But, but it, it wasn't the lost ending. They didn't cop out. Um, and I think the way that they, that they ended up wrapping it all up, you know, it made a lot of sense. And I kind of thought this might be what it would really be like to be in this situation. So, yeah, I mean, I, I enjoyed the movie, um, especially considering uh, everything that we've talked about. Now, granted, the actors weren't exactly, you know, Shakespearean trained, the highest quality actors you could come up with. There were, there were a few times when, when I could visualize other people playing the parts and maybe doing a better job. But, you know, on the other hand, considering these were all people we really haven't seen before, it kind of added a, a, a layer of realism uh, in my opinion. So, you know, my main takeaway was that I was, I was happy with how they kept the pace going. I was very happy with the editing and I was actually happy with the ending. I didn't think it was a cop out. Uh, Brian, what did you think? Um, I totally agree with both of you. Uh, the, the story definitely kept me intrigued. You know, I, I just wanted to know what was going on in the fog. Sheila is probably my favorite character in this movie also. Yeah, Heather and, um, had kind of a bitchy attitude. It was hard to like her, wasn't it? Yeah. And uh, there there were some really nice shots in this movie. I'm actually impressed, you know, especially when I found out this the, the budget of this movie. Now, let's, let's talk a little bit of some of the, uh, not many, but some of the negatives, okay? Sure. When they try to get, they, they were a little too ambitious with the, with the fog scenes, I felt. And, and unfortunately, it didn't work because it, it kind of took me out a little bit, like especially when they're well, I mean, there were certain situations that the characters were in and it was like, you know, it took me out of it because they didn't have the money to yeah. kind of, you, you know, and, yeah. that, and that's an, and that is not their fault. But at the same time, I felt they could have done a little better job of trying to hide that because they did such a great job of actually working with that concept. And then it's like. It's like I always say, it's like if you don't have the money to show the entire monster, then don't show the entire monster because it's going to take you out of a movie. There's ways to do it where you don't show the entire monster. And right here, unfortunately, there was a couple scenes where they try to show the entire monster and it just I didn't work for me. You, you, uh, you, had, you had the same exact thought I did, Pedro, because I was thinking with, with, with quite a bit more budget on this, they could have done a, a heck of a lot more with that. Right. But that's my only complaint. Uh, now, one of the things that I, I'm going to the positive is that, you know, we talked about the li- some of the lines that Sheila had in this movie. You know, you're talking about the tree line, you know, when she's talking to the trees. I love that they cast an older lady because had it been a younger woman, it wouldn't have worked. It would have come off a little bit hokey. So I, I right. big props to the to the filmmakers for going, you know, if you're going to have a character that's going to spew out wisdom, you're going to they're going to have to be a, a little bit older than then, you know, because that's how you get wise. So uh, they did the right job there. Uh, and so, yeah, that's pretty much it. I, I mean, again, it was it was a nice little treat for me. I was not expecting to have that much of a good time with this movie. Brian, what were what were some of your uh, your favorite parts of the movie, and and what would you take away as is something that's a negative or could be improved on? Without any spoilers, I I kind of felt like the ending was maybe as me personally, it was just a little over my head, just well, a little bit. Yeah, I don't I don't know about that. I I did have to watch the final uh, ten minutes twice. And I'm glad. And let me put it to you this way: I'm glad I did. And I think if if you do, you'll you'll probably get a little bit more out of it. Okay. But, um, um, but hey, I will I will tell you this, not to interrupt, but I was really getting worried there at the very end that they were going to start going the religious, the the Christian route. Were you yes. were you guys at all? <laughs> yeah, a little bit. Yeah. 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 So I'm glad I'm glad they didn't do that. Yeah, it never got to the point where the message was like 
heavy handed. You know, I never there felt that at all. Never felt that at all. I mean, it didn't even go that route. And props to the filmmakers because a lot of movies do go that route. And it's something we've always seen before. We've already seen it before. Sure. It's an easy cop out. Yes, exactly. Yeah, and uh, I'm uh, for favorite part of the movie. I'm I'm gonna go again. Go with go with the Sheila character. Not only mm-hmm. you know was she wise, but you know she never really lost her cool. Right. You know, especially in a situation like that, and you know, I I I like that about her character. Sure. Yeah, I I I would say the last uh, ten minutes of the movie or so. That's probably my favorite. You know, when when things really picked up and uh, you know, took us to the conclusion. Uh, it it got a it got a little actiony, which I appreciated. You know, again sure. they were very limited, but for what they could do, it it really picked up the intensity, and and I and I like that. Mm-hmm. So that that was my favorite part of it. So so let me ask you guys a question: Have either of you ever read the the novel or seen the miniseries of Stephen King, The Stand? Of course, I'm so, a huge Stephen King fan. Okay, so could you? Is it just me, or could you guys picture that that actress being a, a dead ringer for Mother Abigail? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah, she she she, she carries the same motifs, and uh, yep. yeah, definitely. I really I really thought about that when I saw her. You know, and you, and the and the cool thing about this movie, uh, Collapse, is that it, it's much like The Purge, where you also know as as you're watching this film that there's other stories around the world happening at the That's same right. time. That's right. That's right. It could be a whole and, universe, and so, right? And so, you know, that you know they're not the only survivors, so we have other situations going on and you know, it, it could almost be a, a little bit of a franchise, you know, where, where you have the same moment in time but different parts of the world. Right. I would have I would have loved to see, you know, the, the the same scenario but with every with people being outside and having to actually run for you know, the, the entire movie being almost action based where you're constantly moving, constantly running because there's nowhere to go. Right. And uh you know, Again, if, if you want to get yourself embedded in this world, you know that was going on as, as we're following these characters in the cabin. So, so when you're a writer, you're, you kind of think about that as well. You know, how, is there potential for a sequel and would it make sense? And could you, using the sequel, could you add to the original, which is the, the point of, that a sequel should always have? You know, you're mm-hmm. supposed to add to the original. You just don't remake the original. Sure. So, uh, so, so definitely, um, I do like the, the, the franchise potential that this movie had as well. Well, one thing's for sure. I never thought I'd hear myself saying this, but for a uh, movie that centers the action in a cabin in the woods, it was pretty. God- <laughs> it was pretty goddamn original. That's right. Yeah, yeah. I think the last original movie I saw in Cabin in the Woods was named Cabin in the Woods. That's so right. <laughs> <laughs> for sure. For sure. Well, um, anything else you guys want to talk about on this one? Are we ready for our scores or what? Just quick question: uh, Would you want to see a remake of this if the director? Got a bigger budget. Absolutely, absolutely. Yes. That's just what Definitely. I was thinking. And if Definitely. there was, if there was any way for this director and this writer to work together again, I really think there's some fireworks there, man. I really do. I think, I think that the uh, that that the uh, dialogue and the and the script went pretty pretty well with the uh, director style. See, okay. here's the thing about here's the thing about low budget filmmaking because it's something I've delved in in the past. Right. I actually have a background in that. A lot, a lot, what a lot of filmmakers, the mistake that they do is that they got no money, you know, and by by no money I mean something in the neighborhood of three thousand dollars. That's the equivalent of no money when you're talking about making movies. And what they do is they 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 still want to do a concept picture, you know, and it's like you can't you can't do a concept picture when you can't afford to have a helicopter or you can't afford to have a police station, et cetera, et cetera. So what happens is that with the limited amount of money you would have, you try to squeeze in all these 
things that you just can't afford and it ends up ruining up your whole story because it's so transparent you know we'll see like a we'll see like a police station in somebody's basement or something it's so obvious that's what it is and it takes you out of the movie what these guys did and what good independent filmmakers do is that they write the script within their budget they they they, they don't get as ambitious as these other filmmakers that want to just fulfill their concept you know so right. So when you have no money, it really it really comes down to the characters. At that point, you have to write good characters to drive your movie because there's nothing else that's going to be able to you, – you can't mask uh, poor production. You just can't do it. Uh, and if you have talented uh, actors and a, and a good script, you could, you could go a long way with that. So that's what this filmmaker did. You know, He saw his limitations. He understood them. He, he, he probably went to the cabinets like, you know, 70% of my movie has to take place in this cabin, so mm-hmm. I have to keep the story going within this cabin, and that's sure. where you start. You don't start with, oh, I, I need I need fog all over the place because my movie calls for fog, and right. I, I, just, I just don't want to budge from my vision, so I'm going to make fog. So what ends up happening with that is that you end up having those sci-fi asylum films where everything looks so fake, and you, and you don't give the characters a chance to develop, and you end up kind of, you know, you, make a, you don't make a good movie. So that, that, that's the difference between being a good independent filmmaker and a bad one, you know? And, and then sometimes a movie's so bad that it ends up being a cult classic, but that's a whole story for another day. Right, and I'm sure we'll do that show one day, and 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 if we're lucky, you'll you'll uh, you'll uh, join us on the show, man. Oh, no problem, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I, I hear what you're saying, man, and I think I think he definitely uh, they found a way to do to do more with less. I think they focused on the right thing, and and you you said the you said the a word, you you said asylum, so I'll kind of go there. <laughs> um, I never got that impression watching this. I never no, got the no. shitty CGI or the crappy. You know, special effects for the sake of being cheesy. I, I, I always get the impression that everything was really believable. With, with, with the one, you know, the one exception, of course, being what you and I were talking about. And I think I know the scene you're, you're discussing where, you know, they were like pulling on somebody, and there, there could have been a lot more there if there'd been the money. But right. <laughs> um, you know, I mean, they got the point across, especially with what, uh, with, with what our, our, our wonderful bitch Heather did, right? That's right. <laughs> Now, now there's a, there's a couple of examples that I would like the listeners to kind of follow through if they enjoy this movie. There's a couple of movies that I want to see if you guys have seen. There's a movie called The Battery that came out a couple of years ago about these two friends. Oh man, I've heard about it. These are the two guys that are basically uh, inside. They, were they baseball players or something? And they're stuck yeah, inside yeah, a car yeah, yeah. during they're the zombie this- apocalypse. They're in the zombie apocalypse and they're stuck inside a car. The majority of the movie takes place inside a car. This movie was made for eight thousand dollars, right? And uh, it's it, it looks phenomenal. Look, you know, it looks it, it looks better than than, than collapse does. It's, it's, it's a better production, right? Uh, but but then again, they had five thousand dollars extra, so I guess that, that answers that. You but see where um, five thousand dollars went. Yeah. So uh, and then there's another movie called uh, I believe it's called reservation or preservation the one where you have the two guys in the cabin and one of them is a recovering drug addict and, and okay. his buddy wants to, oh yes but yes but he wants to ha- help him detox so he handcuffs them to the uh to the cabin and, and so he, he has them there for the weekend or whatever uh you know just bringing them food or you know just just trying to get them to detox cold turkey right and then shena- shenanigans starts to happen around them that's another great movie i love that movie as well and, and again that one also had i think something like a you know 
$20,000 budget, still a low budget. So sure. there's ways there's ways to do these if you use your imagination. And the thing about it is you have no money. It forces you to use your talent. And it's right. like the it's like it's like a shit will get off the pot because that's what's going to tell you whether you're actually talented to be a good writer or you're just kind of making a movie on all your nostalgic memories of all the classic scenes you've seen when you were a kid and you just built the whole movie off of that, you know, which in turn is going to leave you with all the tropes and all the stereotypes of a movie. So anyways, that, that that's the whole deal. People should seek out that the battery and, uh, and preservation, I believe it's called. All right, so, man. I appreciate, I appreciate that. I've, and I've actually heard of both of them and the battery for some reason, I almost saw it, but I guess something else came up and, and I haven't yet, but I'll, uh, definitely check that out now. And I do apologize to the listeners. There was a little bit of a dog barking in the background there. That was that was on my end over here. All right, so you, uh, you guys ready for scores? Yeah. Yeah. Cool. All right, so Pedro, you know how the show works. You've listened to us a few times, so uh, why don't you go first? Okay, so I'm going to give this a – because I don't like to give – one of my rules is I never give a high score after the first viewing. i got to see it a couple of times. Right. Um, and, I w- and I will see this movie again. But for now, it's about a seven, taking everything into consideration. Mm, okay, that's pretty strong, man. Yeah, a seven. Well, I mean, I think an eight and a nine and a ten is really strong. But a seven is a, watch- a watchable movie. Yep. You know, I don't think I don't think the filmmakers embarrass themselves at all, like at all. You know, to be honest with you, so right. Uh, that, that, that's that, to me that classifies it as a seven. Well, as as any of our listeners know, I, I have a I have a history of being pretty critical. I'm I'm not exactly a, a movie Nazi, but by the same <laughs> token, uh, you know, for anything to get above a five or a six for me it, it, it is pretty much an accomplishment. Um, I actually also give this movie a seven. And I would consider this uh, an, an incredibly well done small budget movie. And my yes. take my takeaway on this is I would really like to see what these guys could do with with a little bit more budget and some higher name actors. But I think I think I think we're onto something here. I think uh, both or either one of these guys, the writer and the director, can can go on and do some really good things. Um, I'm I'm going to give it a six and a half. That's not bad. Um, I th- I thought I I enjoyed it, but I'm gonna reserve the right to change my because uh, I think I might have to watch it one more time. Like I said, uh, there's a lot. The ending, it, man. yeah, the ending was a little over my head, so I'm a right now I'm gonna give it a six and a half, but right. I'm, I'm gonna give it one more, and uh, I'll probably I'll probably update that uh, next episode. Cool. Well, this is one of those movies that I, I'm definitely going to watch again. There's no doubt about it because it, it, there's just so much going on on so many different levels. I know for a fact that it's going to be available on, you know, because every once in a while we'll tackle a real low-budget movie that's definitely not going to come out in the theaters. But I know it's going to be available on Vimeo, and I think it's going to be early August. So if I can get that, if I can get that info, I will post it on our uh, Facebook page for everybody to see, and I'll also post it on our our main uh, Podbean page, so everybody knows how to how to purchase the movie if they're interested. All right, so we're moving on now to the second topic. So, Pedro, as as I'm sure you know, our our main uh, gist here is to you know cover something new, and then we go back and find an older movie that we think has a lot of similar themes or a similar vibe. So, in this case, we picked uh, The Mist, which was a uh, of course another Stephen King adaptation, is based on his novella. And what's interesting is that the novella was based on a, it's really weird, a, a very, very old uh, video game. Now, I'm, I'm the elder statesman of the three of us here, guys. 
So I'm guessing that I'm the only one of the three that has actually played The Mist. Am I am I correct in that assumption? Uh, yes, I've never played it. I don't know. Okay, well this was probably yeah. let me let me think here. I I would have been either in at the end of junior high school or like a like a a uh, freshman or sophomore in high school. So it would have been around 81, 82. But back when when our computers uh, basically only had uh, text-based gaming, uh, this was a text-based game. So it was one of those things where, like, it's like, uh, you know, you you see a knife laying in front of you. If you pick up the knife, press A. If you you decide to keep walking, press B. I mean, it was that type of thing. So I remember playing the game, and then the game morphed into a uh, short novel or a novella. I think it was about 102, 103 pages. And uh, then, of course, it it, uh, became this film. So the director and writer of The Mist was Frank Darabont, which I'm sure a lot of our listeners are going to be real familiar with him, particularly as as he uh, applies to Stephen King adaptations. He's done a lot. Him and Mick Garris. Him and Mick Garris. You got it, my friend. Absolutely. Those are the two. They run the gamut of the uh, the Stephen King. Act. Uh, unfortunately, uh, for Mick Garris, Frank Darabont has had the more uh, critically acclaimed adaptations and also the bigger budgets. But Mick Garris has a couple of good ones himself. So um, Frank Darabont's synonymous with Stephen King. Yep, I, w- I would agree with you wholeheartedly. And 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 Garris has had some really good stuff, man. But Darabont is uh, also known for the Shawshank Redemption, the Green Mile, and of course. Uh, he was the big writer who kicked off the a little a little bitty TV show that some people may have heard of called The Walking Dead. At the very beginning, day anyway, so Darabont wrote it and directed it. Uh, at the very beginning of the movie, our main character David he sits in front of his newest painting, uh, which you know, we were talking about this what last week or the week before with the film adaptation coming out. Uh, Brian, is that right? Yes, sir. So he's showing a man with two guns, a rose to the right of him, and a dark tower far behind to the left. So this drawing That's shows right. Roland, a character out of the Dark Tower, a well-known series of books from Stephen King. This drawing is shown again sometime later after the storm, and David tells that the drawing was meant to become a film poster. Uh, and I thought it was kind of funny that they mentioned that. Uh, it, it was kind of funny. His wife said, "Well, well." Honey, can you can you use it? You put so much time on this painting, and he said, "Nah, it's it's ruined, you know, because after the storm, it got blown out the window and and scattered across the yard and broken." And uh, he said, "Oh, don't worry, they can do some amazing things with Photoshop these days. I'm sure they'll just put like the 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 main protagonist and the main antagonist together on a picture." And ironically enough, the Entertainment Weekly uh, magazine cover that's coming out in a few months that they showed on one one of the other podcasts that I think we all listen to showed a picture of uh, Idris Elba and Matthew McConaughey right there next to each other. And that was pretty much it. So I don't know if they did that on purpose, but I, I wouldn't be surprised if they did. Jeffrey DeMunn, Melissa McBride, Laurie Holden, Juan Gabriel Pareja, Sam Witwer, and Tiffany Morgan <laughs> were all in this movie, and they're all in The Walking Dead, <laughs> adapted to well, TV by Frank Darabont. Well, that's 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 the whole, you know, like like if you're a cinephile, you know that a lot of filmmakers they carry their guys with them, you know, project to project, you know. So that, that's nothing new there. That, that that's Darabont's crew. He's, he always works with with either all those actors at the same time or a few of them, but he, he always puts a lot of them in their in, the, in his movies. 
Well, it's funny you should say that, Pedro, because uh, the next piece of trivia is that uh, Frank Darabont actually wanted Thomas Jane to play Rick Grimes on The Walking that Dead. So That don't surprise me at all. What, and what, I, and hey, I, could, I could see it, too. Yeah, so what do you guys think about that? How do you think uh, Jane... Hey, Jane's on a really good show on the Sci-Fi Channel right now called The Expanse. Have you guys seen that one? No, I haven't but I, checked I, that I, out. I, I would get, I would tell you that Thomas Jane would want that because he is he's kind of a uh, on straight to video purgatory as well. He's been hanging around there right. with the, with the Eric Roberts and the Val Kilmers and the Cooper <laughs> right. Juniors of the world. So he would appreciate a big payday like The Walking Dead, but ultimately it went to Andrew Lincoln. So uh, no, but I, I'm a huge fan of Thomas Jane ever since uh, Boogie Nights. You know that's where I first saw him in. Sure, and, sure. Uh, and uh, you know I could totally see him as as Rick Grimes. He I thought I think he would have done a good job. Them are the breaks, I guess. Right. What it, it is, what it is. Right. Yeah, yeah. Um, and he's anyway, done some solid work since then. So the last piece of trivia: uh, Frank Darabont agreed to make the film with Dimension, but only under one condition: that no matter what, they wouldn't change from the scripted ending. They agreed, and the rest is history. Uh, I'm sure you guys are familiar with Stephen King's quote that uh, he that uh, Darabont ended the film the way he wished he had ended the book. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, because I, I have a story to say. I actually have a somewhat of an emotional connection to The Mist. Um, Let's hear it, when, man. When, well, when I was growing up, I, I read The Mist when I was maybe like, I don't know, like 15 or 16. And that was one of my motivations to go to film school because it was always my delusion, I guess you could say, or my fantasy to one day uh, direct that, you know, because that was, when you read the actual story of The Mist, it's so cinematic and, and it's, right? Stephen, King does, Stephen King does a great job of really painting the images in your head as far as what's going on in that, in that supermarket, you know, and, and with all the characters. Sure. And um, it was one of those, um, it, it was the mist and, and and scary stories to tell in the dark. Those were the, the the my influences as far as things that I wanted to adapt one day and I wanted to do myself. Okay. And uh, you know both both of them have a. Uh, I still had hopes for scary stories to tell in the dark, but I believe uh, Del Toro bought the rights. He has the rights to those books now. I think one of those filmmakers does. So that's out the window. But uh, you know it, it was. Uh, I was very happy when I saw Deb Brown's vision because it was. It was kind of like the vision that I had in my own head all those years, you know. It was uh, it was sure. something that he he didn't really he didn't really other than the ending he didn't really get out of the the he pretty much followed the same beats. Uh, I think he the only thing he changed was the ending and the army uh, subplot. Okay. The, mili- all the right. military stuff. Yeah, that, that is not in the that is not in the novella. Yeah, and that that reminded me a lot of Under the Dome actually. Well, I never saw the show because they got horrible reviews. And oh, the I just, show I, sucks. But the but the novel was actually really good. Long but, too, by the way. <laughs> Yeah, very long, but but one thing about the Under the Dome novel is that they the military presence took a really big role in it, and it was actually, I, I think, extremely well done. And when I was re-watching this film, because I've seen it before in the past, but that was before I uh, read Under the Dome, and going back and watching this movie again, there, there were a lot of similarities, man. The thing about Stephen King is that he also, he, 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 he left it very... Um... The ending is is up to the imagination of the reader. Like, sure. you know, I, I guess I guess we could spoil it now because it's been you know twenty some years oh, yeah, since that story came. These up. classics we spoil all the time, man. So in in the novel, it ends with them just driving off in their jeep, and then, and then you kind of wonder what happens to them, and that's the ending of the story. You sure. know, they, they, they don't show the part that they show in the movie that we're going to talk about a little bit. And right. then Stephen Stephen King has also done that in the past. He did it in the in his short story, The Raft, which is in uh, Creepshow yes. Two, I believe. Yeah, and, that and was the, an awesome one, dude. Especially in the mo- in the Creepshow movie. 
yeah, in the book, he just shows the final character just on the raft, and he's just kind of looking at the at the black goo and kind of wondering if he could outswim it, and that's where it ends. He doesn't, it doesn't really go anywhere. Whereas in Creepshow Two, obviously, <laughs> he tries to outswim it, and then we get the classic, you know, I beat you, and then right? the thing just comes and grabs him, you know, on the shore, and that's the end of that. Uh, but uh, so so I guess some filmmakers, because Hollywood needs to you know, tie everything in a nice pretty bowl. They uh they like to give us a, an actual ending of things, so they kinda change his endings. But like Stephen King said, you know, sometimes it's like maybe at the time he didn't have the balls to go with those dark endings. Right. And he just kinda he just kinda left it up to the imagination of the viewer to make their own ending. So um yeah, I'm I'm glad he, he liked Darabon's ending. Um it's very hard for me to say that I like it. Like, as from an artistic point of view, I like it because, you know, you could bring up stuff about how life is not fair and, you know, there's mm-hmm. things happen like that all the time. But God damn it, as an audience member, I just want this, these people to make it, you know, and, and, and yeah. the fact that they don't, you know, it doesn't matter that Thomas, the Thomas Jane character lived, you know, he's, his soul will be dead for the rest of his life, you know, oh, and man. it's like. He, he would like have been, I think we could agree he would have been better off dead. Exactly, definitely, definitely. So, uh, so it's 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 just such a downer of an ending, and I think that affected the box office, in my opinion. Because I do remember at the time that there was scuttlebutt of like, you know, the ending's too dark and this and that, and so, um, yeah. And another thing too that he wanted is that he wanted to release it in black and white. I don't know if you guys knew about that. He, I, he did, I did. It. In fact, they've re-released it in black and white now, haven't they? I believe so. I believe it's on the Blu-ray, the, the, the special edition Blu-ray. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it, you have the black and white version and the color version. And supposedly, you know, if you see it in black and white, you know, it, it looks a little more cinematic and it looks more of, the, of a throwback kind of film that he was trying to make. You know, yeah, he had, he had final decision on the ending, but he did get vetoed as far as taking it out black and white, that's something that the studio didn't go for. So people should try to check it out in black and white, see if they get something new out of it. Yeah, that's a good point, man. I mean, any way you look at it, it's a good movie. Um, I think that the presence, and this kind of, uh, we were talking about Cabin in the Woods in the last movie because that's where it took place, but um, I think the the Lovecraft, H.P. Lovecraft presence in this movie and in the movie Cabin in the Woods are, are probably done better than any Lovecraft adaptations I've seen in a, in a while. Well, you got to understand that Lovecraft is always tackled by like Full Moon Entertainment or like uh, you right. know, Stuart Gordon. <laughs> or, you know, those kind of, so, so it's like they, they, True. We, haven't really seen, we haven't really seen like a real uh, adaptation with a real budget. You, you know, those kind of movies that are all done more tongue in cheek than anything else. But, uh, yeah, because right here we saw the, you know, what was it called? Cthulhu, Hulu or something mm-hmm. like that, the big monster. Cthulhu. Yeah, Cthulhu, he's in here. Right. Uh, very scary scene, by the way. Probably the most scariest scene big in the Big time. Year. Hey, and let me ask you a question, guys. Do you, even though it only came out one year after this film, do you guys think uh, Cloverfield was possibly inspired by this movie? Uh, I'm going to have to think on that one. I'm uh, Possibly, I don't know. I mean, you had a lot of the same. So. You had a lot of the same themes. You had the smaller monsters that were kind of chittinous, you know, and bug-like. And then, of course, uh, the scene that that uh, Pedro was just referring to. I just think I just think that both filmmakers were inspired by the stuff they grew up in, you know, which okay. is the which kind of you know the the, the, the those fifties big big monster you know movies and stuff but i think the actual narrative is completely different in both films so it's just you know using the it's a different theme so i don't think there was any you know plagiarism or you know sure i I don't i don't either i was just curious you know i mean they they were released one year apart and what do you guys think about the 
the movie uh, that came out a few years after that, Monsters. Did you guys get a chance to see that? Uh, Gareth Edwards' uh, directed movie. Yeah, I've seen it one time. I uh, don't really remember it. I'd seen it when it came out originally. Yeah, that was more of a drama with monsters in the background. It was, um, people are stuck in, I think it's like in uh, South America somewhere. Uh, I, I'm just trying to remember, was it, did it have something to do about somebody trying to get someone's daughter, like, yep. over the border or yep. something? that's the one. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And, and bring this conversation full circle, it was also shot on a very, very limited budget. Okay. Um, and, and that's actually what got Gareth Edwards the, uh, the Godzilla gig, because they saw that what he could do with no budget, so they gave him a lot, a big budget to go do Godzilla after that, and that was a huge hit for him. I mean, I liked it. I thought it was a good, a good concept, and again, we talked about earlier with Collapse, you work within your budgets, and that's exactly what Gareth Edwards, he didn't have a lot of money, right, sure. so, the, so, so the, you could hear the monsters throughout the entire movie through growling and noises, but mm-hmm. you rarely, rarely, rarely see the monsters, and it's more of a dramatic piece than anything else good point man but of course pedro gareth gareth edwards is done now right godzilla was like his last big one nothing else big after that right (laughs) according (laughs) according to the scuttlebutt he might have some stories in about a year or so yeah yeah he's he's definitely one of the hottest uh rising directors right now in hollywood no doubt Oh, this is this is a fantastic the the creatures in the movie what what were your guys's what were the ones that stood out to most of you? Me was the scene in the uh, the pharmacy with that the with the awesome. spiders. That was fucking awesome, especially when the uh, it was was that the same part where the uh, the person that was in the cocoon like kind of fell over and collapsed, and all those bugs and, uh, came out of it. it. Yeah, yeah. Oh man. Yeah, that Ooh. that one always put me out. Wow. <laughs> yeah, uh, and again that. That portion of the cocoon that was added for the movie that is not in the novel, as far as the whole army subplot. Okay. And they, in the in the in the novel, we never really we never know what happens because it's all from the point of view of the characters. So sure. the, it it's just something that just happened one day. But uh, no, to me, it's still that big uh, that big crab that kills uh, uh, Toby Jones's character Ollie. Okay. So okay. that 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 that's one that freaked me out because again as a kid I picture that scene perfectly in my mind and that's exactly how it happened you know it just comes out and it's the same scene in the in the book you know he comes out tries to run back in no they're trying to find cars to drive off and then that's where he gets picked off that's by right. that big lobster that's right. it's like a lobster crab hybrid thingy big monster that kind of takes them out Dude, that was a trip, man. There was no lack of uh, different type of monsters in in this movie at all. Exactly, yeah. And then, of course, the big the big main event was saved for the for the Kahulu scene, which you know I remember at the time people would say, well, shouldn't something that big have have its own like orbit or like its own like you know, uh, you know things should be kind of going towards it because it's so massive. But I mean, come on now, you know, it's a movie. Yeah, um, I don't know about but, that. That that's that's an un, that's an unfair statement, I think. Yeah, because people were saying that it should have its own gravitational pull. Nah, it wasn't uh, that big. Well, I, I mean, don't it think... did shake. It did shake the car every time it took a step. Yeah, but it was big, man. That thing was right. huge. Yeah. And the thing <laughs> is that I think I think Frank Darabont was trying to get perspective on the on how big it was. Okay. But it's so diffi- it's so difficult to do like in a in a two dimensional setting. You just it's very it's very hard to get perspective on size sometimes right. when you, when you're in a two dimensional setting. So uh, you know he just. He really couldn't quite pull it off. It was it was very very big and it was very very scary. And then you start wondering, well, where is that thing going? You know, I mean, <laughs> what is its purpose? No kidding. And and there, hey, there you go talking about the uh, something that would be a great expanded universe story, huh? 
Yeah, yeah. Well, well, they are. They're working on a TV show right now of the Miz. Oh, I that's believe. right. I heard about that. Yeah, yeah so. that's going to be on uh, Spike TV. Yeah, Brian, you talked about that a couple weeks ago. I haven't uh, checked it out, but uh, there is. I guess there is a list. They, they've already started casting for the show. You, you know what, guys? I'm kind of looking forward to it, but by the same token, by the time this thing ended, I was so fucking emotionally drained and emotionally exhausted. I was like, I don't know if I can stick with this story for like 13 episodes. You know what I mean? I was going to say, I don't I think it's going to be the same story. I think it's going to be just in the same universe with different different situations that's what that's my impression okay which which would be the right thing to do yeah i was gonna ask how do you guys feel about uh mrs carmody the religious uh, crazy mrs carmody yeah how did how did you uh gay harden yeah how did you guys feel about how she was uh able to sway everybody to her side i think i think she should have been nominated for an academy award and i'm not being funny when i say that i think Mm -hmm. her performance was amazing i think she did everything she had to do as far as what she was paid to do, and that's fucking piss us all off, you know, watching the movie. Indeed. And just and, and it wasn't even that usual, like, oh, I'm so pissed. I want the way that her character was written was perfect to just mess with our emotions because we wanted to go in there and just slap some damn sense into her, and nobody was doing it for the longest time. And worse yet, everybody was falling for her BS. So it, it was it was perfect writing to have somebody kind of play with, with the audience's emotions. And then the you know, the big build up to her death was excellent. So um no great 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 writing i think and great performance as well well thank yeah, you about- uh, i'm sorry go ahead brian yeah i would almost say she's one of the more scarier monsters in the movie because she how she's able to get these people not only to her side but she's she's getting people to sacrifice people to these monsters well what it is what it is is that she's a real life monster is what it is you know you we do have these kind of people out there in the real world and she preys on the insecurities of the people in the supermarket because at the end of the day, when you have fear and and it's, and you, and there's an unknown, what people want is hope. And if you come at them with a little bit of hope and and empathy, you could manipulate them to do whatever you want because that's all people need at that time. So the way the the character is written is perfect for that for that scenario. And and you know she has no guns, she has no superpowers, but what the, she has is the ability to manipulate people's emotions, and that's what she does. And and you know again, she ends up affecting the story because of it yeah very scary man very scary stuff and of course the best villains i've always said this the best villains in 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 any form of storytelling are the ones where they feel that a they're not the villain and b they're doing the right thing absolutely those are the scariest and the best villains in any kind of storytelling you could ever tell and 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 uh mrs carmody here She's never, from her point of view, she's not doing anything wrong. She's doing her, she's just following her beliefs. And, you know, there's sinners out there that need to be taken care of. And so that's, that is her job. And again, sure. we, we've, we, I think we've all met people or been around people or heard of people like this in real life. So uh, it's, it's something true to life. And that's why it works so well. She's simply the vessel allowing God to work through her. Yes. And, and and what I like is that paradox that we have in this film where it's like we have that whole myth, mythical, uh, you know, out of this world situation going on outside. And we have a very, very real possible real world thing going on inside. So it, yep. it's, it's it's pretty cool how that works, you know. And, and and it's like Brian was saying, it's like this is a real the, the, the monster in the store was worse than the monsters outside. Indeed. And the funny thing about the way that her character was written, guys, 
is that when the movie first started out, in fact, probably at least the first one-third of the uh, part of the movie that took place in the store, almost everybody just discounted her. Like, this crazy lady, she doesn't know what she's talking about. She's full of bullshit. There's no way what she's saying is true. But by the time people got more and more and more scared and fear started to permeate the group, you'll notice that people didn't just go to her slowly. They flocked to her. In fact, I think there was a quote somebody made early in the movie where right now she's got four followers. In an hour, she'll have four more. An hour after that, she'll double that. I think it happened quicker than that. And there's so much, you know... I, I, I could talk about the psychology of this whole movie just, just you know, I could for hours. You know, there's so much going on in her character where you could see how, again, this is nothing out of the norm, you know, and, and, and all you right. need is a couple, all you need is a couple of people to follow you and, 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 and them sell everybody else for you. You know, it's like, okay, you, you got two people on your side. Yes, it's, sir. It's like, it's, it's like Avon, you know, they, they, you know, it's like selling, you know, Avon door to door. It's like, you got two people, then they get two people for you and then they get two more. And next thing you know, you, you have your army. So very true life there and stuff. So, um, yeah, that, that was a, that was a great thing. I, I enjoy seeing, uh, uh, William Sadler, who I'm a huge fan oh, of. Yeah, Bill, Bill Sadler, man. Yeah, going way back to the uh, Tales from the Crypt episode of the man who was death, you know, when and he was, uh, oh yes, and he was he was the Grim Reaper with Bill and Ted guys. Don't forget that he was the he, he was the Grim Reaper. He was uh, of course he was in <laughs> Die Hard two, Die Harder, right? Just a great a great character actor, Bill Sadler, and it's always a joy when he comes out on my screen for anything. Hey Brian, what did you think about the the part in the movie when uh, I, I, someone said? Uh, yes, we are civilized as a as a as a people until you can no longer dial nine one one. What'd you get out of that? Oh, I, it's absolutely true. I mean, you know, with you know, not to get into anything political or anything, but you know, with the way the world is going, you know, kind of scares you what what could happen when you don't have that that option to call nine one one, call for help. You know, you know, it's like this. You know, you, a lot of times we hear about these conspiracy theories with the government, how they're hiding alien technology from us, how they're actually hiding alien beings from us, and it's like you have a lot of smart people within the government. So you just made the call that you made right now. Like people go into their primal instinct; they become savages. Sure. When 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 you can no longer dial nine one one, or let's say all the electricity goes out, just imagine what would happen if if the government made the announcement. Like they 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 come out on television and they're like, we do have alien beings oh man i mean i mean the 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 entire world will go into chaos you know what i'm saying and and all these conspiracy theories uh theorists they they don't they never take that into advantage they they, i mean they they never take that into consideration their whole thing is always like well we'll just take the information as it is and then we'll start formulating a plan it doesn't work like that our brains can't handle that kind of you know uh, news that there's a we'll just start going crazy because now now you have the 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 religious people you know second guessing the bible you, right. you have beliefs go upside down so my whole point is that in little examples like 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 here where you know the, the you set a line of the movie that that also works in the bigger picture where it's like that's the reason why if there is alien beings being you know, imprisoned somewhere in Area 51 or whatever. Uh, there's a reason why they don't tell us because they've already mm-hmm. know that how, how we're gonna react to that kind of news. So um, yeah. Anyways, any other uh, main points you guys want to make about this one before we uh, move on to our scores? No, we can go ahead and go to the scores if uh, that's what you guys want to yep. do. Cool. All right. So uh, Pedro, as our as our esteemed guest, we would like to give you the honor of giving your score first again. 
I would go with a big solid eight because I've seen this movie about seven times and I enjoy it every time. So wow. there is no doubt in my mind this is an eight. Man, we are we are in complete lockstep all night long, I guess, because I also uh, gave this one an eight. <laughs> so yeah, uh, we're we're on the same page there. I mean, a very well made movie. Uh, so much into the the psychological aspect of what people would do in this situation. Um, so much of the human drama here. Um, but by the same token, it had a great, nice, big budget for some beautiful science fiction effects, and it pulled them off well. So I also give it an eight. Well, uh, I guess we're going to have three eights here. Cause, <laughs> uh, just based on the, the rewatchability of this movie, I mean, it... I can watch this movie over and over and that ending, you know, I personally, it's, you know, I got kids, you know, it's kind of hard to watch that ending, but it is an ending you will never forget. And they didn't actually show what happened, but did you guys notice the very long uh, drawn out scene where he was putting the bullets into the gun and the, you noticed the gun was, was pointed right toward his sleeping son's head. Yes. Yes, uh, things like that with with kids. You know, another another movie with a scene that always gets me is uh, the scene uh, from Pet Cemetery. Oh yeah, for sure. But, we talked about yeah. that uh, last week. Those always get me. Well, go ahead and watch either Full House or Kindergarten Cop, and that little kid will put a smile on your face. <laughs> <laughs> we'll do. We'll do. So okay. we're gonna. He's, a, he's in both of those. We're we're gonna go into our uh, listener feedback segment, but before we do that, Pedro, since you were uh, kind enough to be on our show with us. Would you mind uh, one more time just doing a quick uh, pitch for your website and your uh, podcast and how, how folks can listen to that? Sure. I do a, a weekly wrestling podcast called uh, The K Fabulous Lucha Brothers. It's on geekdom101.com. It's, it's also a popular hey, what's, I, I hate to interrupt you. What is geekdom101.com just so we can, we can go out and it, find it's, it? It's, 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 a, it's a pop culture website. You know, okay. it, has, it has movie reviews, you know, the, your standard you know, pop culture where it has, uh, we have, um, YouTube reviewers there playing video games, you know, so it's pretty much done for the, for the, for your average geek, you know, to go out there. And, uh, we also cover, we have UFC reviews, you know, we have wrestling, we have all that stuff, comics. Cool. All right. Well, I'm right. I'm writing that down. Cause I definitely want to uh, check out your, I'm not a wrestling fan, but I definitely want to check out your show. And that sounds like a great site. So that yeah, I would appreciate it because again, it's 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 uh just a fun time, you know. Even if you're not a wrestling fan, the banter is it's it's pretty good. Well, I'm gonna check that out, man. So to actually get to, are you guys on iTunes or what? Yes, we're also on iTunes uh, under uh, K Fabulous Lucha Brothers. So I go ahead and uh, and and uh, subscribe there. Um, we got some positive feedback on there already. So um, yeah, it's pretty good. We've we've had the show for about two years now. Uh, we've got some pretty good growth over the last year or so, so we're very happy with the numbers and all that stuff. It's it's little by little, little by little. That's that's the sure. brick by brick is is how we see it. Awesome, dude. Cool, man. Thanks thanks so much for being with us, um, Brian. Do we have any uh, listener feedback this week from Heidi Lynn from Ohio, who sent us a comments on Maximum Overdrive, and also an awesome pick of a six. Six foot seven Freddy painting that she owns. Uh, it, it's it's pretty <laughs> sweet that, painting man. she has. A... I just did a uh, a Nightmare on Elm Street marathon here at the New Beverly Cinema, which is the cinema that uh, Quentin Tarantino owns and runs, and he does a lot of uh, throwbacks uh, programming. 
you know, it's a revival theater, so he does a lot of movies from the 35 millimeter, uh, you know, from the 80s, the 90s, you know, just just older films that you could catch on the big screen if you went around to catch them back then. And uh, we actually had a Nightmare on Elm Street marathon. Um, so a bunch of horror fanatics showed up and we had a great nice. time and it was cool because at the end of the night they had like a little baggie for us, like a, like a, like a, like, you know, a little treat. And we, they gave us like a little bag and inside it had a hat and it's like, I, I, I stayed awake through Elm street. That's what the hat says. Oh, wow. And so, uh, so, you know, we got that and man, I'll tell you, I was, I was on the ropes a couple of times. I was telling my friends, I got to go to my bed and they, they, they made me hang it. And I wasn't the right. only one. It's hard. You know, you're talking about what you're talking about seven movies. That's a lot of and- movies. Did you get, you guys did the remake also no 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 we just did the the you know the the, the oh, original thank, thank god for that that would have put you to sleep for sure man but i'll tell you the the, the dream child is a, is a, that's a chore to get through part five i mean is that it? one's just boring it's all heck and and uh and so that one was hard but you know what the new nightmare was really good and that was the last one and that one kind of gave yeah, us a like no jolt one. because that one's original and, and it, it, it's a good concept, but yeah, it was it was a lot of fun. It, what, they, what they do there is that every every time they have a Friday the Thirteenth on the calendar, they they'll they'll get a movie franchise and they'll, and they'll show a marathon. And if you in the you know the kids obviously to make it through the whole thing. Sure. So last last year they did Friday the Thirteenth, and and that one I tapped out at around part six and I, I didn't finish that one but I, we did finish this one and you know we did get our little prize it's just always a trip walk out of the a theater like at 10 in the morning with the sun hitting you and you going on no sleep but uh yeah it was a lot of fun to do that that was awesome she, right there when she was telling you about the uh, six foot what was it six foot seven uh, a six uh, foot seven freddie painting and it's uh it's on our facebook page you know, in the comments okay our next comment is from kevin nez from susanville california told us that he is really enjoying the podcast but disagreed with us a little on the amityville horror he gives it a 10 out of 10 <laughs> well he he can give it a 10 on 10 i'm not gonna i'm not gonna join him on that on that one yeah is I, it, I totally is agree it, is, this the, uh, is this the the ryan reynolds one or the original the original uh, yeah original man okay i don't know about a 10 on 10 but uh I tell you what, though, part two gets gets no love, and part two is actually right. a very very well made movie. I think it's very very scary. The one that it's kind of it's a prequel to the first one, and it kind of deals with the murders for the the Lutz family movie. Ah, okay, okay. So uh, kind of like we're uh, Conjuring two starts off. Oh, uh, there you go, exactly. Because I, I bought the box set that Scream Factory released about three years ago, and and it, it delves into uh, part two and part three. You know, the one the part three is actually in three D. People should check out if you want to check out more Amityville, and that's your thing. Check out mm-hmm. part two because it's it's a really well made movie, cool. and uh, nobody ever talks about it. All right, I've I've seen it, but it's probably been twenty years, so I'll 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 go back and 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 dip my foot in the pool again, man. <laughs> Good. Okay, we got a couple iTunes reviews. First one is from Art1318 says, Great chemistry. These guys really do have a great conversation about new and old horror with such a passion that you can't help but be engaged in the podcast. Love the show and shines the light on new films you might not have known otherwise. Cool. Thanks, Art1318. We appreciate that. And one more quick one from Macnez says, Fresh. Love the show. You guys rock. Says it all, huh? So that means that there, there's been approximately 1,377 more arts before this one. That's right. <laughs> That's a lot of arts, man. Thanks, guys. You can reach us with your comments, ideas, and questions at thehorrorreturns at gmail.com. Message us through Facebook page, through our Facebook page or leave an iTunes review. 
And as always, we want to thank you for listening to another episode of The Horror Returns. We'd love to hear your feedback and ideas. You can always reach us at thehorrorreturns at gmail.com. For up-to-the-minute news, reviews, and interviews, visit our Facebook page at www.facebook.com forward slash the horror returns and follow us on twitter at at horror underscore returns you can find us on podbean at the horror returns also look for us on itunes and if you like what you hear please rate us and review us so we can get those numbers up and continue to bring you bigger and better stuff next week we will be reviewing star trek beyond and enemy mine and the following week, we're going to be bringing you a very special John Carpenter retrospective show. And if we're lucky, we will again be joined by our friend Pedro. So until the horror returns again, good night.